Thanks for joining us on this week's Real Life Church podcast. We'd love to know if God is using this ministry to bless you in some way. And if you'd like to share your story or know more about getting involved at Real Life Church, you can visit us on our website at livereallife.com today. Let's open our Bibles this morning, Matthew chapter 7. And uh, we have a lot to celebrate. God's doing some amazing things. Do not miss next week. Uh, We have our annual overseers meeting next weekend, and so we uh, our our overseers come in. Our overseers are guys that pastor successful churches, and uh, they're basically um, they're responsible to make sure that I stay in order, uh, making sure that my life is in order, making sure that um, you know that I I live and and live uh, like Jesus wants me to live. And so they they pry into my private life and just just make sure that Jason's clean. Come on, how many know you need people like that in your life? And uh, so I'm thankful for these guys, but one of our overseers comes and speaks every year at this time, Pastor Patrick Conrad. You do not want to miss him. Uh, he's phenomenal. He pastors a church in Mississippi. It's, he's in Olive Branch, and he's also in South Haven. He's also in Hernando, and he also runs a Dream Center. And so he's making a big impact. Do not miss. He's funny. All right, come ready next week to be engaged. If you have a friend, bring your friend. Uh, he's he's going to talk and definitely give a word from God. And uh, praise the Lord. I'm excited that he's coming. And uh, praise God for a weekend break. Hey, man, praise Hey, man, let's just let's be real. Some of you are like, well, are you breaking? Okay, let's keep moving. All right, Matthew chapter 7. Verse number 24 says this. It says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it, before you do anything, share the feed. Come on, share the feed. I got people telling me what to do up here, so I'm just like listening. Make sure you share the feed, everybody. Please share the feed with your friends, okay? Let's get to God's word. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock, though the rain comes in torrents and the flood, ri- flood waters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on a bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Look at your neighbor and say, you might be a fool. Look at your other neighbor, which was your second choice, and tell him you might be a fool. Somebody said, you are a fool. Amen. Like a person who builds... A house on the sand. person that is foolish builds its house on the sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. I want you to understand something this morning as we, I'm going to uh, wrap up our series called Unshakable. And I want to talk to you from the thought of building an unshakable life. Because I think you can. I think if you build your house correctly, I'm not saying you're not shaked. Come on, man, a whole lot of shaking going on. There might be some shaking going on, but it doesn't mean that it has to collapse. You might feel the tremors of life. You might feel the the outer quake or whatever, but I want you to understand something that today you can build a life and build a life that is unshakable when you build it upon Jesus. He tells us in Matthew chapter 7 that if you build your house upon the rock, when the winds come and the rains come, that it will reveal something. And I want you to know something. A lot of our, our foundations have been exposed during this uh, pandemic that we've been in. A lot of our foundations, the cracks that are in uh, our, our foundations have been exposed because that's what adversity does. Adversity exposes the level of your foundation. It, 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 it exposes and, and tests the thing that you built your, your house upon. Some of you build it on money. Some of you build it on uh, just friendship. Some of you build it on a career. Some of you are building your house on a sinking sand. And I'll tell you what, right now, it might seem good now, but when there comes a storm that's going to that's gonna try to blow you over, if you haven't built your house correctly, 
then it's going to fall. Now, I don't mean to bring me, be doom and gloom guy this morning, but I will tell you on the other side of it, there's a way by which you can build your house, and it can be in the middle of adversity, and it can stand. So let me give you what I will call an equation. Here's an equation for you. Information plus application e equals transformation. Information plus application equals transformation. And this is what I'll call as an equation out of the book of Matthew. Matthew 7, this is what he's talking about. What you have to understand about this passage is that this is the kind of the climax of the Sermon on the Mount. He's been speaking, he's been teaching for a long time. And uh, these guys are wore out. But Matthew chapter 7, he, he kind of brings it all together and says, everything I've said, you must do if you're going to build your house upon the rock. So what we have to understand is information plus application equal transformation. You cannot experience transformation in your marriage apart from information plus application. See, here's what we want to do. Let me give you the other equation, then we'll tie this together. But information minus application equals devastation. Matthew chapter 7, this is what he's trying to get across to us, is information minus application equals devastation. I know a lot of people that know a lot of things. I know a lot of people that have a, knowledge, a lot of knowledge, even biblical knowledge. I know a lot of people that, that, are, that, are, that are stewards and, and have knowledge of God's word. But knowledge minus application equals devastation. I can pinpoint when you stop doing God's word is when devastation begins to happen in your home. What about financial devastation or financial lack or financial tightness per se? Information plus application equals transformation. So you not only know God wants you to tithe, but then you tithe. Come on, somebody. That's what information plus application equals. It equals transformation. But if you withhold, information minus application equals devastation. Here's why I believe that we don't live with an information plus application. I'm saying it a hundred times. I need you to get it. Information plus application equals transformation. But I believe the reason we don't do but we want to know is because we want a shortcut in life. We want to know, we want to be in the know, we want to have certain kinds of knowledge, but we don't want to apply those things in order to see transformation. And then what we do is we complain about devastation. Oh, God, you don't like me. God, you're mad at me. No, you're just not a doer of God's word. We blame everything on God because we're not living in obedience. Come on, somebody, hear me this morning. That you're, you, when you, you can't blame it on God if you're not doing what the Scripture says. Because he said he would honor his word. He wouldn't honor your situation. He wouldn't honor your opinion. He wouldn't honor your, 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 uh, your, your mindset. What he would honor is his word. So if you're building it upon natural intellect, guess what? That eventually is going to fall away. You won't live with a place of legacy. You won't pass things on to the next generation. What you'll pass on, you might pass stuff on. You can pass some stuff on all day long. But the next generation don't need stuff. The next generation needs to see a group of people that know how to obey God and not just have to see. Because what knowledge does, I really believe that knowledge, because the Pharisees were knowledgeable. They understood the law, but they were mean as snakes. Jesus always confronted those with a lot of information. 
The Pharisees had a lot of information. They knew the law. They had a knowledge. Knowledge puffs up without application. If you don't do what you know, listen to me, you're ignorant. That's right. That's good. I must be talking to somebody online today or somebody back here behind the curtain. Anybody back there? Quit lying. I know you're back there. Information minus application equals devastation. The only way you can build a solid house in the midst of a country, which go vote on Tuesday if you haven't voted yet. Come on, somebody. Come on, man. The, the only way you can build an unshakable life in the culture that you're living in is if you build it not only on information, but you build it upon application, which will bring transformation. John 13, verse 17 says this, you know these things and God will bless you, listen, if you do them. He doesn't say he has to bless you apart from your application. See, I understand we have sovereignty doctrine that says God's just going to do whatever he wants to do. Well, we'll blow that up, all right, at the beginning of Genesis. It's not just God's going to do whatever he wants to do. He needs you as a partner in the kingdom to carry out his principles in the earth. He would not have needed to create Adam had he just been doing God will do whatever God will do. No, he needed a, a partner in the earth that he could put into him knowledge, revelation, power. But then he needed a person that would do what he's asking them to do. Come on, somebody. Now, listen. Everyone's building your house. Everyone's building a life. Everyone's pursuing after something. There's a pursuit. Everyone is building, number one, is building a house. Number two, everyone is building on a foundation. And then third, everyone's foundation will be tested. Every one of us will have a testing in our foundation. It will come through adversity. Jesus tells us that we will face perilous times. Why are we surprised? We're not, we shouldn't be surprised. We should understand that our pursuit is not culture. Our pursuit is Jesus. Because if you pursue culture, if you pursue the opinion of culture, if you pursue just the knowledge of culture and, and the things that are happening within our nation and our country, listen to me, you're building your life upon sinking sand. Let me ask you a question. What kind of person will you be on November the 4th? I heard somebody ask that question the other day. The election's November 3rd. What kind of person are you going to be on November 4th? Is it going to dictate your behavior? What if you don't get what you want? How are you going to respond? That ain't what the world needs right now. The world needs a church that will not just sing about reckless love, but deliver reckless love. And the only way you do that is if you build your house upon the rock of Jesus Christ. So here's how you build on unshakable life. Number one, build with the right blueprints. Build with the right blueprints. See, what are blueprints? It's a picture of what could be. It, it gives you boundaries. It shows you when you go to build a house or build a, build a church. Okay, I'll build it. Amen. So we build a blueprint. We got a blueprint. And, and there's the blueprint, and it, it shows you the inner walls. It shows you where the plumbing goes. It shows you the roof line. It shows you all these different things that you need to build a house. Go out and try to build that without a blueprint. It's going to be a disaster. You need a blueprint. 
electricians need blueprints. So, you know, you lay the foundation, and then I'm not a builder, so I'm just going to guess. You, you, you lay the foundation, and then let's just say we're building a ranch. We're going to put the floor down, blah, blah, blah. And we've got to put the walls up, and the, then the electrician's got to come in, and then the drywaller's got to come in, and then the painters come in, and, and so on and so on. Well, there's a sequence to building. Right? Well, guess what? It's the same way in your walk with God. These people cannot effectively build a house apart from a blueprint. They're not just going to walk up and you say, hey, I want a house that's going to cost me about $500,000. I want it to be 3,500 square foot, and I want it upstairs. Those guys are going to go, okay, well, you got that, 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 that. Why? Because they have to build off a blueprint. Let me encourage you today. It's the same way in our Christian walk. You got to make sure you're building on the right blueprints. How many know if you went into the builder and they handed you somebody else's blueprint? You're like, here's what I want. And they took that blueprint and they handed the wrong blueprint to the builder. And as they start to build it, you're like, hey, man, that ain't what I asked for. Like I spent all that money. That's not what the blueprint says. Well, some of you are building your life that way. You're building off the wrong blueprints. You're taking your cues from culture. You're taking from cues from around you. You live on social media like it's, like it's a plague going on, like you're addicted to this stuff. And it's forming beliefs in you. Wow, it's just me. I'm just scrolling. It's, it's scrolling. I'm just scrolling. You're addicted. Oh, pastor, I'm not addicted. <laughs> First person that says I'm not addicted is probably the addict. Come on, somebody. Here, let me, let me keep moving before I get stuck. Is that to build on the right blueprints. Well, what's the right blueprints? Romans 12, 2. Don't live the way this world lives. Let your way of thinking be completely changed. In other words, the way we build off the right blueprints is to change the way we think. Then he says this. He says, then you will be able to test what God wants for you. There will be a test to that. And he says, and you will agree that what he wants is right. His plan is good. His plan is pleasing. And his plan is perfect. So here's the question. Are you building off your own blueprints or are you building off of God's blueprints? When it comes to your marriage and communication, are you building off how Christ laid his life down for the church or is it my way or the highway in this thing? Get your deal together, woman. Is that what we're doing? Is that how we're living? Because then we're building off the wrong blueprint. God wants us to build off the right blueprint, and it's his word. He says, don't be conformed to this world. James 1.22 says it this way. Don't just listen to the word. You fool yourselves if you do that. You must do what it says. Let me get this across to you. You must do what it says. If you want transformation, you must do, not just know. See, the reason some of you talk yourself out of victory is because you reason God's word too much. You try to reason and muse on it. You like reason. Well, did God really yeah, stop reasoning? As if your intellect can catch up with the creator of the universe. You will never catch God in intellect, no matter how stinking smart you think you are. It's never going to happen. Last time I checked, you didn't take a set of stars in your hand and go, bow, there they are. Right? Last time I checked, you wasn't like, light B, bam. There was. No, none of you done that. That's God. That's his position. So you must submit your life to him. You must do what he says. Listen, the power is in application, not knowing. Hear me. The power 
is not in application or in, in, in knowing. The power is in application. When you begin to apply what you know, it brings transformation. And you live this, uh, it starts, this unshakable life starts with building off the right blueprints. Number two is this, you must build beneath the surface. Build beneath the surface. surface. Some of you are a mile wide, but you're about that deep in your relationship with God. You, hey, you're this way, but you're about that deep. So anytime adversity comes, all of a sudden, the, the bird of adversity gets the seed right out of the soil because you're only that deep. Keep digging. He says, if you're going to live an unshakable life, you must build beneath the surface. Listen, there are certain things that God can't build on. There's certain things that you've introduced to your life that God can't build on. Let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me say it like this. Uh, adversity, again, will reveal what you have built your life on. Luke chapter 6 says it this way. Anyone who comes to me and listens to my word and obeys them, he always puts these two thoughts together. He says, I will show you what he is like. So he's about to tell you what a guy looks like that is word, that, that knows it and also obeys it, is he is like a man who in building his house dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock says this, on rock, the river flooded over and hit that house, but it could not shake it because it was well built. What do I mean by that? If you go to build a house, you can't just dig this far down in order to have a solid foundation. Your house is going to fall over. It's going to collapse. It's going to sink. It's going to be devastating. You'll be in your kitchen one day, and before you know it, you're in your bedroom because the bedroom's in the backyard. Come on, somebody. I mean, it's just it's shallow. Nothing will stand with shallow. And this is what's been revealed in the current state of our culture, in Christianity, in the American church, is, oh, we've got our church in, we're wide this way, but we're about that deep. So when adversity comes, it's like, oh, it's the end of the world. Oh, my God, it's the end of the world as we know it. You start singing. Wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on a second. What are your roots tapped down into? You, your root system has to get way down because the further you go down, eventually you're going to hit water. And that water is going to be nutrients. It's going to be something that's going to feed your root system. So here's what he says. If you're going to build a life that is unshakable, you must dig. Listen, in the culture we live, surface level Christianity is over. It's time for a deep work in the church. It's time for us to get down in here and ask ourselves, why am I always gossiping? Why am I loving little comments, induendos on Facebook or seeds of suggestion that I post out there that just puts a seed in somebody's heart? It's because you're shallow. God is done with this stuff in the American church. We've played church too long. Man, I'm getting fired up. You better watch out online. I'm coming at you. We've played church too long. But we've not played Christianity right. We've only been this deep, and God wants us to get below the surface. He wants us to dig down into the root systems and say, is there anything in here that doesn't look like him? And all of a sudden, allow the Holy Spirit to begin to pull those things out of us that look nothing like him and allow him to begin to build a brand new foundation in us. How long can we do this? How long can we be intoxicated with culture? How long can we do this? I feel just a prophetic word this morning 
How long will you halter between two opinions? You either got to choose God or you got to go red hot for the world, one or the other, baby. You can't live in the middle in this season. Well, that seems like that might require something of me. First Peter 5.10. I will give you my sweet self now. God, <coughs> who shows us, who shows you his kindness, and who has called you through Jesus Christ. The reason this fires me up is because I know where I'm going at the end. Praise God. And he says this. He says, has called you through Christ Jesus to his eternal glory, will restore you, strengthen you, make you strong, and support you as you suffer for just a little while. In other words, there's a stability that goes on. There's a strength that happens when we build below the surface. Number three is this. Build with the help of others. Isolation is a killer. It's a killer. Today's society, we're experiencing more suicides. We're experiencing more depression. We're experiencing more loneliness. We're experiencing more anxiety. Why? Because we got nervous and fearful, stuck ourselves in a room, and, and isolated ourselves from the very group of people that can come around us and build us up and, and, and lift our hands and pray for us and help us walk through some stuff. And we've isolated ourselves to the point to where we're crippled. Listen, let me, let me read you just a, a natural stat, and, and it's from uh, UCLA. It's from the UCLA Loneliness Scale, and it says, according to recent large-scale survey from healthcare providers, most Americans suffer from strong feelings of loneliness and a lack of significance in their relationships. Nearly half say they sometimes or always feel alone or left out. 13% of Americans say that zero people know them well. The survey, which charts social isolation using a common measure known as the UCLA loneliness, shows that loneliness is worse in each successive generation. So some of you that are over 60 are like, I ain't lonely. I got all kinds of friends. We go to McDonald's every Saturday and get our 65-cent coffee. Come on, somebody. But some of you that are 15 in this room are lonely as all get out right now. Why? Because each generation... It tears down the loneliness factor. Why is it when they're 15, they're experiencing that, but when you're 60, you're not experiencing that because every generation experiences more loneliness and isolation as they go. More screen time than ever. Parents, watch your kids on the screen. The, the, the screen time is, is raising them, and it gets them to the point where they're experiencing isolation and loneliness. And even as a small kid, when they turn 15, they experience isolation. Why? Because that's the way this thing works. Loneliness, listen to me, was the first problem, first human problem God identified. He said it this way, it is not good for man to be alone. He's not just talking in the context of marriage. He's talking in the thought pattern of relationships. You can't win in isolation. Well, this is me and God, and we're going to go out here and we're going we're gonna to do it. Just me and Jesus. Me and Jesus are a majority. Well, then you don't read half your New Testament. Half your New Testament has you connected to somebody else. Half your, half your New Testament tells you how you're supposed to live your life. If you're going to build an unshakable life, you need people, the right people in your life that's going to build you up and encourage you. Listen to what 1 Timothy 4, 5, 11 says. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Hebrews 10, 25. Let us not give up meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing this. Instead, let us encourage one another with words of hope. 
Let us do this even more as you see Christ return approaching. We're living in the last days. We're living in a time of perilous times. We need, to need each other more than ever. More than ever, we need each other. Number four is this, and I'll close with this. If you're going to build an unshakable life, build with the end in mind. Build with the end in mind. I'm not saying you know what the end looks like on uh, uh, everything, every detail between now and the end. What I am saying, though, is build with the end in mind. Here's what that means. To build with the end in mind means you get the why. You understand the why of life. It's not just how to do something. It's not just the what of something. It's the why. The why is the fuel by which you build. Uh, uh, live your life with the why, with the intent that you're building with the end in mind. Here's what that means. Why is the heart. Why becomes the fuel by which you build. So what does the end look like? Hebrews 12, 2 says, let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Why do we ignore that? Why is that not our first response? When adversity and pain and stuff hits us, why are we fixed on everything else? Because again, information minus application equals devastation. But if we would get this in this season we're living in, Information plus application equals transformation. He says, let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from beginning to end. He did not give up because of the cross. On the contrary, because of the joy that was waiting for him, he thought nothing of the disgrace of dying on the cross, and he is now seated at the right side of God's throne. What does it mean to build with the end in mind? It means there's going to be a day that we will stand before that God. The God that we serve, the God that we claim we know, the God that we say we worship, this is who we will stand before. Now listen to me. He went all the way for you. He died on the cross for you. It was the most disgraceful thing that a human could ever experience of what Jesus went through. And most of the time, what Jesus went through, most people couldn't endure. The Bible says that he was arrested at the, the night of Passover. That night he was arrested. Judas betrayed him, kissed him on the cheek. Watch the Judases in your life. Just because they kiss you doesn't mean they're for you. <clears throat> Praise God, that was for somebody. I, mean, I just throw that in there. It's extra. But he, he leaves that and he goes. He's arrested. And the beatings begin. He's made fun of. He's mocked. His beard's poured out. He's, he's put on a thing called the, he's put on the whipping post. Cat of nine tails. It's a 65-pound whip that has nine fingers. Strands of, of, of rope intertwined with bone and glass and pottery. And it would be the, the, the largest man in the Roman centurion, in centurion would be the one that would beat Jesus. They called upon him, he estimated to weigh 250 pounds and he was an intoxicated man. He was the head of the Roman legionnaire and he would come with this 65 pound whip called the cat of nine tails. And when Jesus put his hands down on that whipping post, that man 
they say that he was demonically infused that the beating of Jesus because it was so raven just so filled with demonic behavior took about three minutes to destroy his body this man that was enraged took the cat of nine tails and he would wind it up and it would be a fast motion and then he would sling it down on the back of Jesus and those nine tails would would grab onto the body of Christ and wrap around him and theologians tell us that they would take that whip that whip and they would turn it 180 degrees so that pottery and that glass and that bone would enter into the skin of the and they would dip it in goat's blood before they did it they would dip it in goat's blood so it would stick to the body and then all of a sudden he would rip it and flesh would just come off his body it says Jesus received a beating unrecognizable that you couldn't even recognize that he was a man. The Bible says that there was 39 stripes put upon his back. That was a raging lunatic filled with demonic rage that did that to an innocent savior that sat on a whipping post and took it for us. It was after that that he would walk with the cross beam through a place called Via Della Rosa. The Via Della Rosa was right through the middle of the marketplace. For those of you that work in the marketplace, it is a ministry. God wants you to carry the cross right where you work. Jesus took the cross right through the marketplace. He stops at a place called Via Della Rosa. It's called the spilling of the bowels. It's where most people, after such an excruciating beating, they would die. But Jesus got to Via Della Rosa and he passed right through Via Della Rosa. Man comes and grabs the cross beam as Jesus is, is dehydrated and wounded and, and, and ripped to shreds. Crown of thorns put upon his head. The, crown, the thorns in Israel are that, about that thick and about that long, nine inches, that went into the brow. And they took it and they pushed it into the skull of Christ. And as they did that, he walks to this place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. That's why this is the battlefield. He goes to the place of the skull. They lay him upon the cross beam, put him down. They put nails, not in his hands, they put him in his wrist right here, right on this side, right here. And they put him there and they put, it, put his feet together and put, it, put the nail through that. So when they set him up, the nails he caught right here on his bone, on the end of his hands, and that's where he would hang. There he is standing between heaven and earth for us. People are walking by mocking him. People are walking by making fun of him. All of a sudden they're towards the end of this whole phenomenon of what was taking place took that vinegar Jesus says I'm thirsty and they took a sponge that they used in the toilets of that day where people would go to the bathroom and they would clean the inside of toilets out with this sponge that's what they used on Jesus they took it and they put it in vinegar and then they put it in his mouth it was humiliating what he went through but that is what sin 
looks like. That's what sin does to people all across the world. Even on that cross when they're betraying him, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And we have trouble looking at people and forgiving them for the way they looked at us. He's standing there, hanging between heaven and earth. The Bible says, all of a sudden, he says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. It is finished. He dies on that cross. What was the it that was finished? The plan and the purpose to redeem human beings back to himself. And all of a sudden they take him. In this moment he's on the cross. The Bible says the earth grew dark. This will be the one and only time that his father couldn't look at sin, turned his back on that. And the Bible says that the earth grew dark, thunders and lightnings, to the point that the Roman centurion said, this must, this, this must be the Son of God that took away the sins of the world. They take him out and they put him into a borrowed tomb. One of Joseph of Arimathea was in a garden. It was a tomb. He was going to borrow it because he wasn't sticking around. And they took him and they put the love of the Savior's body into this tomb. Can you imagine the betrayal that he had an opportunity to experience in this moment? Nobody came to the tomb, nobody was waiting outside. Bible says that there he was alone in this dark place and all of a sudden as he's there his spirit Jesus goes down to the pits of hell and the Bible says that he took back the keys of death hell and the grave and he ripped out back everything Adam had given to him into, into the hands of the enemy. Jesus took back in that moment through his death and burial. And then out of that death and burial comes three days later. The Bible says the earth began to shake and the tomb of the stone was, the stone of the tomb was rolled away and an angel sat there with all authority. And here come the ladies. And they said, what are you looking for? He's not here. He is risen. He said he would. Why paint that picture for you this morning? Because that's who you're going to stand in front of. That's the picture of what we will have to face one day. It's the God of the universe that loves us unconditionally, yes, but he wants us to live with the end in mind. What's the end for us to stand before our risen Savior, take the crowns of this earth, lay it at his feet, and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. So that's the why of life. 
That's what it means to fix your eyes on Christ. When we have these petty things that happen, he's more than a conqueror through him that loved us. When we have these things that come into our life, they're incomparable to the things that Jesus had done 2,000 years ago. So we can look at the enemy and say, you're defeated. You have no place in my mind. You have no place in my marriage. You have no place in my money. You have no place in my community. You have no place in my co-workers life. And all of a sudden, we can begin to declare out of the authority of God, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. He not only created the world, but he conquered the world. That's who you serve. So today, maybe you're in this room and you say, Pastor, I need to know that Jesus. I need to know that one that bled and died. And don't get into a religious funk right now at the altar call. We do this every week. This is what we do every week. Listen to me. When you entertain that spirit, you're entertaining a spirit from hell in this moment. Boy, 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 boy. Shouldn't have left me alone this week. Because... I'll tell you right now, this is the deepest level of spiritual warfare you ever experience is when somebody's getting ready to say yes. Maybe you're watching online today and you heard everything that Jesus is gonna do and has done for you. And today you wanna say yes to Christ. Maybe in this room and you're like, I'm backslid, I'm away from God. I've not been living with the end in mind. My life is shaking all over the place and I don't know, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I can tell you what you're gonna do. You're gonna let your eyes keep fixed on Jesus. So if you're in this place today, this is going to be real transparent. If you've been living this unshakable life and you've walked away from God and you don't know God and you've lived this backslidden state of all your life, listen to me, you can live like the devil in front of everybody else, but man, you have trouble standing for God. You have trouble standing for, for, for what Jesus believes in you and he has this unconditional love for you. And if that's you in this place today and you say, Pastor, I need to know Jesus. As the Lord and Savior of my life, I've walked away from God. I need to come back to Him. Will you do me a favor? We stand where you're at. Just stand up. Just say, man, that's me. I need to come back. I need to come back to God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Anybody else, I need to come back to God. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Yes, sir. Let me tell you, if you're watching online right there, do me a favor. If that's you, whether you're sitting on your couch, whether you're watching, on whatever, wherever you are today, listen, if you're watching, do me a favor today. I want you to know Jesus loves you. I just painted the best picture I could of the reckless love of God. He doesn't hate you. He doesn't want to judge you. He loves you. And if you're watching, do me a favor. You say, Pastor, I need to know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of my life today. If that's you, would do me a favor. Will you raise your hand? Will you, will you, will you hit something there in the chat and say, that's me today? Put a hand up. Hit the raise the hand button. Whatever you got to do to communicate to us and let us know that you're saying yes to Christ today. Do it right there where you're at. Today is the day. We're going to live with the end in mind of seeing Jesus, our Savior, who bled and died for us. And when you see this, listen listen to me this morning. You're like, why are you making them stand? Isn't that awkward? No, it's okay. They need to know how much we love them. They're making a decision for eternity. For eternity. Thank you for having the guts to stand up and say yes. Come up here, come up here, come up here. I don't normally do this, but I will today because you're married. Come face me right here, I wanna pray for you. Just grab hands with each other.
Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for this couple, God. Lord, thank you so much for what you're doing in their lives. Holy Spirit of God, I thank you today for the power of God. That in this moment, Lord, as we've seen what you did for us, that today, God, that these two are coming back to you, to know you deeper, to grow in their relationship with you. Today, Lord, if there's things in their life that need to be surrendered, I thank you today that they'll surrender right here in this moment. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I praise you and thank you. We guys pray with me. Just repeat right after me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me, to raise from the dead, for loving me. Thank you today for transforming me. I ask you to come into my heart in a real way. I thank you that you love me, gave your life for me. I praise you. Thank you. From this day forward, I'll be a new creature. Old things are passing away and all things are becoming new. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give them a big hand clap. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. Be sure to connect with us on social media, the RLC app, and online at livereallife.com.